for the remainder of our time this evening. Let us return to Luke's Gospel, chapter 19. We want to look really at the first section there, the story of Zacchaeus, and it's contained within verses 1 to 10. And as we we look at this incident, probably 99% of you have heard about Zacchaeus. You may have heard it in your Sabbath school days, maybe at home, certainly in the church. So you are very familiar with this story. Maybe for one or two it's not a familiar thing, but it is one of the well-known incidents in the Bible. And it is a, a glorious incident that we have here. It is heartwarming. It is the gospel. It is what Jesus Christ, we could say reverently, loves to do. And therefore we want to look at this incident again afresh. And no doubt all I'll be doing for many of you is simply reminding you about things you know. And this is one reason why we have memories that we might be reminded of good things. The title I would like to give to the sermon tonight is Salvation Has Come. Salvation Has Come. And really the, it, the title comes from the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. For in verse 9, what do we find Jesus said? Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house. Salvation had come to this house, to this person. And what a wonderful thing to think upon when we fully grasp, or at least as much as we can grasp about the doctrine of salvation. It truly is a wonderful incident that here was a a sinner. Here was someone who was on that broad road that leads to destruction, who got up in the morning as an unbeliever, who was under the wrath and the curse of God as he got up, as he had his breakfast, as he went about his daily duties. But the moment that he met the Lord Jesus, he was transformed. And when he lay down to sleep that night, he was a different individual, for salvation had come to his house. Salvation has come. And salvation has come to us. The gospel has come. A message from heaven has come. As the message from heaven came to this poor individual, so it comes to us. And we should, if nothing else, rejoice that God has something glorious and something wonderful to say to us this night. He is telling us from the word of God, from what we have read, that salvation has come to us. And we are to reach out and to partake in that full and free salvation that is found only in the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. We have the Lord Jesus in Jericho. He's passing through Jericho. He's going towards Jerusalem. And we know, as part of God's plan of redemption, ultimately there could be no salvation 
unless the Lord Jesus was going to go to Jerusalem. He would have to encounter Gethsemane and Golgotha before there would be any salvation. But he accomplished that. But here he was in Jericho on the road to Jerusalem and he had work to do. There was a soul to be saved. Now I don't know if you know, but Jericho was a place that had a curse upon it. When the people of God came out of the promised, come out of Egypt, and as they were going into the promised land, there was a place that they had to overcome. It was Jericho, and they did it. The walls came tumbling down. You know the story. It's in Joshua, and since that time, it was cursed. And it was never to be rebuilt. But someone defied the curse. Someone called Hiel, the Bethelite. He rebuilt Jericho in the days of King Ahab. Now we're not going to dwell upon this, but we did look at it when we went through the first and second kings. We came across this. But this person defied the curse and rebuilt Jericho. But he suffered enormously because of it. We are told in the Bible that, his, that his, he lost his firstborn son and his lastborn son. And many commentators would maintain that when the Bible speaks about losing the firstborn and the lastborn, what it really means is he lost all his family. He lost everything in rebuilding Jericho. In going against the curse that God had placed upon that place. Later on in the days of Elisha. When he began his public ministry. Again we looked at this when we went through the kings. He cured the water. That was in Jericho. Jericho was a pleasant place to live in. But the water was terrible. And people were dying because of it. And when this was brought to Elisha's attention. He cured the water so that not only was it a pleasant place to live in, but it became a fertile place. There we might say the, the curse was somewhat subdued. But by this time, by the time we come to the New Testament, Jericho had been rebuilt and possibly there was another Jericho. There would have been the old Jericho and the new Jericho. And last week we looked at that when the blind man was, was miraculously cured by the Lord Jesus. But Jesus was not finished with Jericho. There was someone else who had to encounter the healing power of Christ. And that was Zacchaeus. And in my introduction I want you to notice, friends, that there's a connection between chapter 18 and chapter 19. Or at least there's a connection with part of chapter 18 and this section we're looking at in chapter 19. Not many weeks ago we looked at the rich young ruler. He came to the Lord Jesus. He looked to be a very promising disciple, a very promising follower. What must I do to... In 
inherit eternal life, Master. He came and bowed before him, and he poured out his heart with the most important and serious of questions. What must I do to have eternal life? He had everything this world could give him, but he wasn't right with God. He hadn't got eternal life. He wasn't ready for eternity. And there the Lord Jesus was before him. And he asks a very real and pertinent and relevant question. We are not going to go into it, but we know ultimately Jesus said to him, sell your goods, give it to the poor, come and follow me, and you'll have eternal life. And what happened? The man left. The man turned away. The man wouldn't follow Jesus. He wouldn't do it because he loved his money more than anything. This was important to him more than eternal life. And he wouldn't part with his money. The disciples were amazed. Who then can be saved? Jesus said, what's impossible with man is possible with God. And this is what happened here in chapter 19. We have a rich man. A rich man. In contrast to the rich young ruler, here was a rich man who was saved. Wonderful transformation. That's the connection. And we are to see, friends, in this, the wonderful powerful grace of God. The rich young ruler couldn't part with his treasures. Zacchaeus could. Why? Because of the grace of God. Luke chapter 18 verse 25 says, For it is easier for a camel to go through a needle's eye than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Well, here was one who was rich, and he entered into the kingdom of God by the grace of God. I have a number of things, brief things, that I wish to say tonight from this well-known passage for you. First of all, let us notice, and let this sink into our hearts. Let this grip our hearts. Friends, this passage tells us this passage tells us there is none too bad to be saved. There is none. None whatsoever. Here we have, and I use these words carefully, here we have someone who is an utter rogue. He is a rogue. He's a tax collector. He's a rich tax collector. He would have tax collectors under him. He would be a superintendent. He would have an area and he would collect tax from that area. He couldn't do it himself. He would have others under him and they would be appointed areas in the vicinity. You'll collect tax here. You'll collect tax there. You'll give your money to me. I'll get rich. Jericho was a great place, a great place for thoroughfare. And where there was thoroughfare, they would set up posts where they would obtain tax. Tolls from the merchants as they went from one place to the next. And here, what are we told about Zacchaeus? Behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, verse 2, which was the chief among the publicans, and he was rich. 
Now, most of you will know that a, a tax collector wasn't a good job like it might well be today. A tax collector would take money from his own people. Zacchaeus was a Jew, and he would take money from his own people, and he would give it to the Romans. He would have a set amount to collect over a month, over a year. The Romans would determine how much tax he would have to collect. But if he was successful and he managed to collect more than the required amount, he put it in the back of his pocket. And we know he was successful. He was a rich tax collector. He was robbing from his own people and lining his own pockets. And what does the scripture tell us? Verse 2. And behold. Why does it say and behold? It says behold. Look at this. Look at this individual. Look at him. Look at his life. Look at his condition. Here is one who was saved. We would look at that person. Would we take him into our houses? If we were there 2,000 years ago. Would we have him for dinner? We would not. We would have the rich young ruler, no problem. We would have him in our house. But you wouldn't have the chief tax collector. No way. You wouldn't take him into the house of God. He wouldn't be in the synagogue. He would have to live a separate life because he was hated by the people because of his occupation. And here, the Holy Spirit is telling us tonight, Behold. Look at this individual. He was no saint. He became a saint, but he was a sinner. There's no doubt about it. No one argues about the fact that this man was a sinner. He was a great sinner. We are happy to be able to stand before people, men, women, boys and girls. You can tell all by the authority of God that there is none that cannot be saved. None. And that's why we proclaim the gospel. That's why we tell people about Christ and about his willingness to forgive all our sins. Maybe this is what's holding you back. Maybe this is what's troubling you. You think it's too too late. Or oh, you're too bad. Or oh, you've sinned away the opportunity, as it were. Not so. The Holy Spirit is saying to us tonight, Behold, look at this individual here. Take heart. Take heart. I realize that in modern society, the greatest problem that we have is most people don't think they're sinners at all. And they don't think they have a need for the Lord Jesus. Oh yes, it's fine for the drunkard. It's fine for the, the drug addict. Or it's fine for the prisoner who finds himself in prison. Yes, the Christian gospel may be apt and appropriate for them, but not for me. Friends, when we assess these things, we must look at them biblically. 
We must look through the eyes of Scripture and we must accept the Scripture definition of ourselves. We might be morally upright, but we're still sinners in the sight of God. We might not be an open sinner like Zacchaeus, but we're sinners before a holy God. And that's a terrible plight. (coughs) And this here tells us there's none too bad. There's hope. And the hope is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Another thing, secondly, we've noticed little things Little things. What do I mean? What do we find what do we find written in verse three? Talks about Zacchaeus and he sought to see Jesus who he was. Why did he go to Jesus? He had heard something about Jesus. The likelihood is he really didn't know much about his teaching, but he heard about him. He heard that he was a a miracle worker. He heard that people's lives were transformed. He healed the sick. He opened the eyes of the blind. He enabled people to speak who never spoke. People who never heard began to hear when Jesus healed them. Why? Even the dead were raised in the ministry of the Lord Jesus. He heard something about this person and he was curious. Curious. Curiosity. That was enough. That was the turning point in his life, if you like. That's what brought him, in some sense, into the kingdom of God. He had been in the kingdom of darkness and he was curious about the Lord Jesus Christ. And he took this opportunity to see him. He wanted to look upon him. He wanted to assess him for himself. And it was all brought about by curiosity. Very often, friends, it's very little things that begin a work of grace in an individual. An individual may be curious, as we hope they are, when they see lights on in this place, when they hear our singing or whatever, when the door is open or the windows are open, they hear something and they're wondering and maybe they're curious and we hope they would come into the house of God and hear something. But the very fact they're curious could be the very beginning of a great work of God in their hearts and lives. People are invited to come to places like this and other places. All Christians, when they gather together, they want other people to come into their places of worship. And sometimes they invite people. And the person who's invited, oh, I I don't really want to go, I can't be bothered. But maybe they're just curious and they find themselves sitting under the gospel. And what do you know? By the grace of God, they can trace their conversion to this little movement. They found themselves 
under the means of grace. They found themselves hearing and their souls began to live. Never despise the, the day of small things. We, we quote that very often. Well, this is a, a very small thing. Here was a well-to-do sinner, a, a, a worldly sinner, a rich sinner. He was curious. He put all obstacles to the back of his mind. Here he was, a, a small individual, hated and despised by the community. He heard Jesus was coming and he runs. Can you imagine him with his good clothes running and then going up a tree? Can you imagine what people were saying about him? But he wasn't bothered. He was curious. And his curiosity led him ultimately to that face-to-face -face encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. This is to encourage the Christians. You ask this person. You ask that person. You hand out a tract here, there. You do what you can. And you hope that through what you do, someone might be stirred. Their curiosity might be awakened. Where will it end? It's in the Lord's hands. Well, from little things, thirdly, let us notice the compassion of Christ. The compassion of Christ. Verse 5, what does it tell us? And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. A moment ago we talked about little things and how Zacchaeus was curious. But you know, friends, the Lord Jesus had a mission. The Lord Jesus went there in order that Zacchaeus might be converted. He knows where he was. He stops at the very tree. He looks up. He calls him by name. Here we see something of the compassion of the Lord Jesus. He invites himself into Zacchaeus' home. Why does he do this? He does this in order that he might bestow salvation upon this individual. That others would despise and others would reject. No, Jesus stops. Jesus speaks to him. And here we see something of the compassion of the Lord Jesus Christ. And is this not a wonderful subject to meditate upon for a moment? The compassion of Christ. Glorious, wonderful compassion. Divine compassion. The Lord has had compassion. His compassion is seen in the fact that he's come from heaven. And undertook everything that was required in order to save sinners. Oh, he didn't come to justify the righteous he didn't come to save angels. He came to save sinners. Is that not wonderful? Is that not something that stirs us up? Is that not cause us to delight in this glorious person that he, he cares for the chief of sinners like this man here? This indeed amazed the crowd. The compassion 
of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're a Christian, you know something of this compassion. You've tasted it. You've tasted that the Lord is good. And you've enjoyed his compassion. And you know, it's not just a once for all experience when you come and take up the cross and follow the Lord Jesus. You know he is a compassionate Savior. And as you walk with him day by day, he's always compassionate. Oh yes, he might discipline his sons. Yes, we know God will chastise those who are disobedient. But Christ is always compassionate. And we find it here. When he came to the place, he looked up and saw him. He makes the move. He takes the initiative and speaks to Zacchaeus. Here was a man who was full of curiosity. He got more than he bargained for. For Jesus stopped and told him to come down. Zacchaeus, make haste and come down. Here is the gospel. Here is it. Zacchaeus was up in a tree in order that he might see Jesus better. And that was well for him. But he was to come down. He was to make haste. And he was to come down. And this is something, friends, that all of us can adopt. We're not in trees. But we're too high and mighty in our own estimation. We're too full of pride. And this is what Jesus has got to say to the sinner. Make haste. Hurry up. Today is the day of salvation and come down from your high perch. And this is what many people will not undertake. Because becoming a Christian is the most humbling thing in the world. Why? Because you have to turn your back upon your self-righteousness. You have to recognize that you are depending upon another to save you. And that other is the Son of God. There's no other one. It's the Son of God. And you must trust upon what he has done on Calvary's tree. And that is the offense of the cross. But there's no other way. There's no other way to be right. It's only through the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done. And we have to come down. What's that talking about? Well, it's talking about repentance. It's talking about humility. It's talking about casting aside our own self-righteousness and relying upon the righteousness of Christ. Fourthly, there is another thing that we might draw from these verses. And it is the power of Christ. What do we find in verse 6? And he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. This obviously links to what we find in the previous chapter with a rich young ruler. Here was a rich person and he was prepared to accept the terms of salvation he was. 
what caused him to do this. It was the grace of God. Grace is powerful. Grace is what transforms individuals. As we have said, here was a man who was devoted to worldly wealth and gain, and it didn't matter how he got it. But when he met the Lord Jesus, Christ was able to crucify his lusts so that he would follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ has that power. He obeyed the Lord. He did make haste. He didn't procrastinate. The Son of God had spoken to him. That was enough. Make haste. Come down. And he received him joyfully. I want you to notice this, friends. Salvation is not a life of dirge. We're not on a funeral march when we belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. Here was a man who had what the world could give him, but he did not have real joy in his heart. But here was one who encountered the Lord Jesus, and he received salvation, and as a result of it, he was full of joy. And as Christians, we need to exhibit this joy more and more. It truly is a joyful experience, even to take up the cross and to be identified with the Lord Jesus it's full of joy. Why is it full of joy? Because you are reconciled to God. The great barrier, the great obstacle has been removed. And the obstacle we're talking about is our sin. It has been dealt with finally, fully, completely by the Lord Jesus. Christ indeed has this power and he is still exhibiting that power today. And I know there are people here who rejoice indeed that they follow the Lord Jesus. And they have difficulties and trials, temptations, disappointments, even heartaches. But would they swap anything for Christ? Is Christ not everything to them? Of course it is. Their whole lives are bound up with Christ. And whatever he will give, they will take it joyfully. This is difficult. This is hard. This is against nature. This is supernatural. This is the grace of God. This is the power of Christ working in the individual causing them to turn their backs upon their old life and take up a new life. A life of following the Lord Jesus Christ. Fifthly, then, and lastly, we want to notice evidence. Everything's happened here quite quickly. Zacchaeus has run, he's gone up the tree, he's met the Lord Jesus. Christ has invited himself to his home. He goes there. Jesus, what does he say? This day is salvation come to this house, for as much as he also is a son of Abraham. 
Jesus said that, that testimony about Zacchaeus, after Zacchaeus had said in verse 8, Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. Here was someone who encountered saving grace, whose life was changed, and he evidenced that change by repentance. And he acknowledges that he, if he has taken anything, he will restore it fourfold. He went beyond what the law of Moses would command. He was transformed. And there was clear evidence that he was truly saved. Salvation, freedom, deliverance had come to this house. I put it to you that if someone is truly a Christian, then that evidence must manifest itself. We're not saying that Zacchaeus will be the pattern for everyone. Everyone's conversion is different. Zacchaeus' experience is not my experience, and it's not your experience. But there must be evidence. And even in the short time, how long? A matter maybe of an hour or two. It was clear that this man was changed. And notice, friends, what he says. Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give. Not I will give. I give. I give now. Here and now, I'm going to do this. It's something that I'm going to do now. You know, many people want to be charitable, but when are they charitable? They're charitable maybe when they cannot use their wealth. They're charitable maybe when they're going to die. They give to charity when they're dead. But here was Zacchaeus, full of life. And he was full of faith. And he was full of the grace of God. And he was going to give now. His repentance was going to be an experience that he was going to undertake here and now. And therefore there was clear evidence that truly a work of grace had begun in him. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. He got up in the morning, as many of us do, he got up in the morning dead in trespasses and sins, lost. He lay down on his pillow that night, a son of God, one who had been saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know anything of this, friend? Again, Zacchaeus' experience may not be your experience. But is there any evidence that you belong to the Lord Jesus. Coming to the house of God is good. But the devil goes to the house of God. 
He's a great churchgoer. The devil believes in God. Many people talk about God. Many people say they believe in God. The devil believes in God. Or I should more accurately say the devils believe in God. And James tells us they tremble. Many people believe in God and they never tremble. Many people's faith is not even the faith of devils. This man's faith was real. His life was changed. Is there any evidence that your life has changed? Salvation has come. And if it has come to your house or to my house, there must be evidence, as there was for Zacchaeus. Amen. And may the Lord bless his word to us. Let us have a word of prayer.